Hello and welcome to the first episode of Fireside Football presented by Empire Sports Media. My name is Brennan Carpenter. I am here with Dylan Price and we will be talking about all things NFL. To start off, some news within the past week on reopening practice facilities was started off by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announcing that teams can begin practicing and training and New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy one-upped him today by saying teams can begin training and even have games. That's some good news for the Buffalo Bills, New York Giants, and New York Jets. Now, speaking about the Jets, Dylan, you and I cover the Jets in our articles. They have been in the news quite a lot recently, starting off with the signing of Joe Flacco. What is your opinion on that signing, and what are your ideas on the potential signing of Cam Newton in the future? Yeah, so first thing, excited to be here, excited as well that football seems like it could be a real potential in this new normal we're going to have come fall. Speaking on the Jets, who have been the biggest fixture, it seems like, other than the Cowboys and headlines as of recently, they recently signed Joe Flacco, which was a move that we talked about here at Empire Sports as being a move that the Jets really needed to make. Although you brought in James Morgan to be the backup, which seemed like with fails, but there needed to be somebody to mentor Morgan into a backup role for the future and to continue to mentor Sam because he's still young. He's at a point where he should not be the oldest quarterback on the roster or the most experienced. Albeit Morgan's, I think, like a month or two older, but nonetheless, Darnold should not be the most experienced quarterback on the roster. So adding a Super Bowl MVP and a guy that was debated to be an elite quarterback at times in his career Adding him to the team really adds more of a mentor for Sam that he hasn't had because last year he had Simeon and before that he had McCown, which was good. And McCown did a lot for him, as Sam has openly said. But adding a guy who in Flacco was a Super Bowl winner, a champion overall, knows what it takes. And he's just, I think, a very good addition for this team and a good guy to, you know, be able to come in if the Jets need him and manage the offense. And as for Cam Newton, I think that, Speaking in the Jets sense, he didn't make the most sense because he's a guy who's going to bring a lot of drama. With Flacco, he went to Denver and fizzled out, and that was his real last chance, it seemed like, to be the starter. Now he's back in his hometown area, and this seems like more of a last stop on a farewell tour rather than a compete with Darnold for the starting job. But you have Cam Newton here, who is coming off just a few years ago, being an MVP, being in the Super Bowl, being one of the most prolific and talked about players in all of football, and adding him to a team that you're trying to build a culture of building winners, which is something that they're doing by adding Flacco, but adding Newton, not saying he's not a winner, but he brings a lot of controversy and quarterback controversy that's unnecessary. As for the rest of the NFL, there's a couple spots I think he could fit, but Brendan, what's your take on kind of where you think Newton would fit? Well, first off, I totally agree that the signing of Joe Flacco is a much-needed addition to the Jets quarterback room. Um, Flacco is coming off an injury-riddled season. I don't think anybody is expecting him to compete for the starting job. He'll be competing for a backup job if he's able to get healthier and get in football shape. Now, even if he's not able to win that backup role, having him as a third string or even just someone like McCown, who can mentor him from the sideline, would be very, very spectacular for Sam Darnold. Cam Newton, I could honestly see him sitting out this season. I know he said that he would now settle for a backup role, but 
as you said, a team signing Cam Newton brings a lot of quarterback controversy. Um, and I don't think any team wants that drama, especially if they believe they have their starting quarterback. Now, with the Jets signing Flacco brought them in the news, they've also been in the news because of a recent impasse regarding contract talks with Jamal Adams, the all-star safety. Now, Jamal Adams has stated that he wants to be extended this offseason. That may or may not happen. If it does not, he has been linked to the Dallas Cowboys as a potential trade partner. And the Cowboys have also been at an impasse with Dak Prescott, who wants to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He wants to have somewhere near $50 million a year. I personally don't know if he is worthy of such a large contract, but the trend that the NFL has seemed to be going in is whichever starting quarterback is next up for a contract, they seem to become the highest paid quarterback in the league and potentially league history. Now, if Dak Prescott does manage to get near $50 million a year, that just sets up Patrick Mahomes to have an even more substantial amount of money coming his way once his contract is up. Do you, Dylan, see Dak Prescott getting somewhere near $50 million a deal a year? If he does, how do you think that impacts Patrick Mahomes? And if not, what do you see happening with Prescott and the Cowboys? Well, starting briefly, and you mentioned the Jamal thing, I think the one thing with Jamal, and there's not a lot I want to say about it because I've said to um, in articles with Empire Sports that I think Jamal is a special talent and a culture changer who needs to remain with the organization in some sense, whether it's making a contract to be a short-term deal to just get him over into next offseason when then they could negotiate a long-term deal or whether he plays out on this deal and is a little angry, he needs to stay with the Jets. He's a culture changer and the kind of guy that Joe Douglas needs to build the defense around. And whether that's going to take the whole offseason or whether this is something that is going to go even into next season, they got to get a deal done. And that's all I really want to say about Jamal. As for Dak, I think that Dak is nowhere near worthy of that money. Not a knack on him because coming out of Mississippi State, I like Dak Prescott. I think he was a very good quarterback. I think that he's got a lot of good about his game. There's nothing, though, when you look at Dak Prescott that makes you think this is the guy who is special. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, he's mobile. He has a cannon. You've seen him do the sidearm throws. You've seen him do so much magic on the field. Deshaun Watson, he's mobile as well. I'd say that Deshaun Watson is a much higher level caliber player than Dak. Not a knack on Dak. None of this is a knack on him. Dak is a leader. He's a good franchise quarterback. But he is nowhere near worthy of $50 million and nowhere near worthy of getting a deal to reset the quarterback market. He should be getting somewhere around what Kirk Cousins got because they're kind of similar quarterbacks. I think Prescott is a much higher level player, but I think there's times where Prescott folded under pressure. There's also times where Prescott has proved that maybe he isn't the best quarterback to be getting that kind of money. Honestly, Dak is a good quarterback, but nothing crazy special. Then you get like to what I just said with Mahomes, a special quarterback where he's the kind of guy that you basically write him a blank check. The Chiefs need to write him that check and say, you know what, reset the quarterback market. You need to stay in Kansas City. You just won us a Super Bowl. You're a game-changing player, and you need to remain in Kansas City. So he's definitely going to get that crazy big deal, 
But I think that whatever happens with Dak is definitely going to reset the market for Mahomes because right now, like you said, it's just anytime one of these young quarterbacks or quarterbacks as a whole that are good and talented franchise caliber quarterbacks get on the market, they get handed these monstrous deals and then become the highest paid quarterback. And it just keeps resetting. Dak should not be the next person to reset that market. He probably will be because it's the Cowboys and they make decisions based on whatever Jerry Jones is feeling that day. But overall, Dak deserves to get paid. I'm not saying that he shouldn't, but I think that he definitely is nowhere near worthy of a monstrous deal. The guy who is worthy of that, though, is the reigning Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. And I think that uh, that's definitely where his contract negotiations are headed. Right. No, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, Dak Prescott is a, a very good starting quarterback in the National Football League. I'm interested to see how he would play. God forbid Ezekiel Elliott goes down with an injury, if he could lead his team to the top. Patrick Mahomes is a guy who you could, like you said, right, have a blank check, and any number you write on that could seemingly make sense to give him. Uh, getting away from the Cowboys, some more league news that was announced today is, according to Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, Shrimp minicamps could be scheduled as early as June 15th or as late as June 27th. Now, that's some good news for fans and players eager to get some on-field action, stemming off of the idea of governors allowing teams to begin training. Do you think that is too early for minicamps to start? Do you think that the league should postpone it a little longer? What do you feel towards that? Yeah, I think that as long as it's handled in a way that you keep all these players safe and none of them get exposed to the virus and exposed to anything that is detrimental to their health in the long term, I think it's a good play. And I really do think that at some point you do have to reopen the facilities because if you're dead set on having the season begin on time, then you have to get these teams and players getting some on-the-field work together. Virtual meetings are great. They're great for working out together. They're great for accountability, and they're great for going over the playbook, but they're not going to get you that on-the-field experience, and especially some of these younger teams and a lot of teams that are going through changes. You know, look at the Buccaneers. You have a new franchise quarterback, new weapons around him. Brady's going to need to go in there and get some kind of experience with the playbook, with the coaches, with the players, and overall, that's a trend that no matter what situation your team is, They need some kind of level of development that you can only get in OTAs and minicamp. And as long as it's safe, I think it's definitely the move that the governors and the NFL as a whole need to agree to make. Right. And stemming off of the minicamp and training camp news, some good news for Rams fans out there is Jalen Ramsey has recently said in an article by Bleacher Report that he will not hold out and he will report a training camp without a contract extension despite him entering his contract year. So some good news for Rams fans there. Now, also going on in the NFL is they've been in the news recently talking about their attempt to combat a lack of diversity uh, regarding coaches. They're talking about expanding the Rooney Rule, where they would require teams to interview at least two minority candidates for head coaching And if they decide to hire a minority head coach, they could get up to a six-spot bump for their third-round pick. Now, to me, these incentives are a good idea to try to get teams to hire more minority coaches, but it also makes me think that teams are going to hire minority coaches not based on 
let's just say, their repertoire and their experience, but rather just to get a better draft pick, which could be problematic in my opinion. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that there's definitely aspects, like you just mentioned, that could be problematic with it, whether it's teams hiring guys for the span just to get the extra compensation or hiring, you know, a general manager, because that's another aspect of their trying to diversify is the front office position. So if they hire a high level, you know, minority head coach or high level minority general manager, maybe more specifically in the front office, you could definitely delegate work where it could be, you know, a two person job, you know, in the Jets instance, that's a team we cover, you know, Rex Hogan is the kind of Robin to Joe Douglas's Batman. He's not the guy in the chair making the big decisions, but he's got input. Whereas it could be the other way around. You have a minority candidate in a front office position who they might not even have him making a lot of decisions, but he could be there just for the time span to get a draft pick. So it could be more problematic. And I do think that it's not something that should be incentivized. I think that it's something that needs to happen. I think there needs to be my diver- more diversity in coaching and front office positions within the NFL. You got guys like Eric Bieniemy who there's no way you can tell me flat out that Adam Gase is a more qualified head coach than Eric Bieniemy. Maybe on the, you know, on the sheet you have Gase having that head coach experience, but Eric Bieniemy is a creative offensive mind and if you're looking at Doug Peterson, what he did in Philadelphia, Eric Bieniemy should project well hopefully to the next level. So he's the kind of guy that should be getting a head coaching opportunity. And there's so many more guys like him. It shouldn't be something that has to be incentivized. It should be something that with the changing of the guard and ownership and a lot of other aspects over time should happen. But I think it's not the intentions are right in trying to speed up the diversifying of those key positions within the NFL. But I think that the incentives are almost in a spot where they could be too drastic, that they could cause a lot of issues and issues that could have further implications on serious things in the NFL as a whole. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, Let's take a move here to talking about the strength of schedule for this upcoming season. The New England Patriots have been ranked as having the hardest schedule for this upcoming season. I believe uh, their opposing teams last year had a winning percentage of 53.8, around 54%. Now, is this a situation where you could see the Patriots tanking for Trevor Lawrence, or do you think that Belichick is not even thinking about that, that he could still push his team to try to win the division, even if Jared Stidham is starting at quarterback with his lack of experience? What do you see about this? Well, uh, sorry. (laughs) Well, Brendan, you and I know well as Jets writers and Jets fans as a whole that watching the Patriots play the Jets the past few years has been something that's very not pleasing. And the way Belichick coaches, he's never going to coach, I think, to lose. He may coach to try to, I guess, tip his hand and get a higher pick or, you know, coach to accumulate picks somehow and make decisions to trade up to get Trevor. But I don't think that that team would ever tank. I think that they're really going to put their eggs in the basket of Jared Stidham and try to make him the next guy and see if he is the successor to Tom Brady. But I think that there is serious consideration in the New England front office that at some point Trevor Lawrence is going to be an option as likely as next year he could be an option for that franchise quarterback spot if Stidham doesn't pan out and 
they're seeing that by, say, week eight and they're three and five, I think maybe there is potential that Belichick says, okay, let's put guys in who need experience, pull out our good veteran players and try to tank. But it's just hard for me to see Bill Belichick making that move. And I guess what's your opinion as a Jets fan to seeing how Belichick has coached these Patriots teams the past few years? I agree. I don't see Belichick ever allowing his team to tank to get the first overall pick. Now, being that they have the hardest schedule, it may happen. It may not. You never know. I mean, Belichick has shown in the past when Brady's gone or Brady's injured, they've utilized their backup quarterbacks uh, fantastically. I mean, those quarterbacks have been Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, who are both, in my opinion, better than Jared Stidham. They have shown that they could be starting caliber quarterbacks for the most part. Now, I know you were talking about earlier uh, – the Baltimore Ravens before the podcast, the Baltimore Ravens and their strength of schedule. Do you see Lamar Jackson having a repeat season? Do you see Hollywood Brown having uh, an even better season than he did last year? He was a great rookie. Do you see their running back situation um, improving with their additions in the draft? How do you see the Ravens competing with the Kansas City Chiefs for the Super Bowl this year? You know, Honestly, I I ate my words a lot. I have been one of Lamar Jackson's biggest doubters. I thought coming out of college, he was a prolific player and a kind of guy that is on, you know, we talked about Newton earlier, on that Cam Newton level of being a polarizing talent. But I think that Lamar last season had a system very developed for him. It's only gotten further this offseason as well with some of the moves the Ravens have made to add more pieces on defense and offense around that team as a whole. And they've built this team around Lamar. And I think that with all the pieces they have around them, and now you're going into a season next year where you're coming off of incredible season last year, now you're going into another season with a weak schedule and I think that they're going to take that step this year to get at least to the AFC Championship game and definitely be contenders. I think the Chiefs, honestly, are still at a higher level right now because there's more Mahomes can do than Lamar. I think Lamar is a great runner, and I think he's proven that he's developed as a passer. But I th- defenses can start to figure out the little nuances of that offense and start to plan it more accordingly for it you're going to have teams begin to develop their defenses around these more mobile quarterbacks like Lamar and more of these guys coming out like Tua and Justin Fields soon. And you're going to have that development over time. But I think that specifically next season, there's going to be somewhat of a jump in terms of how defenses play Lamar. I think there could be a rocky start for Lamar, but once he figures it out, if he figures it out, he's going to be the biggest contributor in their success next season. And I think a lot of pieces around him are going to succeed because of that. I think you look at guys like Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown to really take those jumps where if Brown can stay healthy, he could be one of the top receivers next season and get to that Tyreek Hill level of being a speedster who can change the game. And as for Mark Andrews, he's been Lamar's go-to guy since what seems like day one. If he can continue to develop into that, he's going to become a guy who's really talked about as one of the top tight ends in the league. So there's guys that can take jumps on that offense and guys who can take jumps even on that defense. But I think that there's going to be a rocky start in Baltimore, but I think at some point they'll end up in the AFC Championship game because they've got an easy schedule and a team that, I mean, obviously no schedule is easy, but they've got a team that's progressed the last two years, and if they can continue to progress, that's a team that's very scary to not only the AFC, but the entire league. And it's something that's going to definitely put the league on notice. 
Absolutely. Now, we saw a while back Lamar Jackson working out with Antonio Brown, and there was a whole bunch of speculations about, oh, does Lamar Jackson want to play with Antonio Brown? Will Antonio Brown become a Raven? But recently, we have heard reports that Russell Wilson would love for the Seahawks to add Antonio Brown to their receiving core. Now, obviously, having your star quarterback saying that is going to bring some attention your way, and having Wilson say that you know, is a big step, but it doesn't at all mean that Antonio Brown will become a Seahawk, as there's a lot more that has to happen before he wears that uniform. Do you see Antonio Brown making a return to the NFL to the Seahawks, or do you see him remaining out? Because even if the Seahawks sign him, he could be placed on the um, commissioner's exempt list. Yeah, I think at some point Antonio Brown is going to be back in the NFL. If you look at what he was doing when he was in that spot after getting out of New England where he was trying to find a job, but also trying to build his persona outside of football, whether it be rapping, whether it be negotiating boxing matches with YouTube stars. At some point, Antonio Brown is going to get back into the NFL because of how devoted it seems like he flipped the switch. He seems like now he's more devoted to trying to get back on the field rather than becoming a superstar celebrity who's uh, fixture in the media. He's been quiet recently. Maybe it's like Beetlejuice and all of a sudden in a couple of hours we're going to hear a report Antonio Brown does this and he's not even going to be considered for the NFL for a while. But I think that at some point he's going to come back and I think that Seattle would be a great fit for him if they can pull that off their offense takes another step because he still was last season, even in the one game he played with New England, he was a great receiver and showed the flashes of Antonio Brown that everybody knows. And I think if he fits in Seattle, he'd be a great fit. I think in Baltimore, he'd also be a great fit. He's the kind of guy who can take some of these higher level teams to the next level and potentially put them in the serious contention for whether it be their conference or whether it be the Super Bowl as a whole. He is a game-changing player. If he can stay quiet off the field and he gets back in the league and he's not put on the exempt list, I think he's a dynamic player capable of changing any offense he's in. I think Seattle would be a great fit for him, as would Baltimore. What do you see him, I guess, fitting in sense of an offense and a city, really, that would handle all his craziness? Well, if he's able to be readmitted into the NFL, I think Seattle is a great fit. Um, already with DK Metcalf, who had a strong rookie season, and Tyler Lockett, who is a deep threat. Adding Antonio Brown, who is really adept at causing separation from the defensive backs. Having a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who's very good at rolling out of the pocket and extending plays, Antonio Brown would be a great option to have under duress, and I mean all the time. I could see him going to Seattle over Baltimore. I don't think Baltimore is going to make the move with him. Baltimore is more of a running-oriented team. I mean, so is Seattle, but Baltimore is really strictly focusing on the run. So I don't think Antonio Brown, with his diva personality, would you know, opt for that first. Now, more NFL news. Uh, the NFL has been discussing changing the onside kick to having a team attempt a 4th and 15 rather than trying the onside kick. Now, some statistics about this is last season, only 8 of 63 onside kicks were recovered by the teams attempting them. On the other side, there were only 7 4th and 15s attempted, but 2 of 7 were converted, which is a much higher percentage. Would you like this potential change? Do you think they should stick with the onside kick because it 
seems to be more difficult. What do you think here? I think um, one thing that this is definitely going to do if this is implemented is change the way games are viewed. They've been talking about having two fourth and 15 options throughout the game, kind of like you can pick an onside kick whenever, but now you'd have two fourth and 15 options throughout the game. And a guy like Bill Belichick could use that in some mastermind way to manipulate the clock, manipulate the way he goes about things. And overall, I think it's a way to keep fans engaged in the game because say the Jets are down 14 to the Bills in week one, well, you kind of can't turn the TV off if they still have two fourth and 15s left because they're a score and a conversion away from really being back in the game. And it's kind of how the league would be viewed if this is implemented. And I think one of the things with the onside kick that isn't really talked about as much other than their its lack of efficiency is the potential to injuries with it. Pat McAfee, the legendary punter slash kicker for the Colts for so long, talked the other day on his show about how you know, when he was playing, they were so successful with the onside kicks because they did things that people weren't expecting. They timed it perfectly. You know, they did little different things to manipulate the way they went about it, and they had a lot of success. But they also had other teams getting injured because of this, and that was something the league noticed, and it was something opposing teams noticed, and it's something that's continued to develop where there's been a couple injuries that maybe weren't apparent right away but developed later on because of something that occurred during an onside kick recovery. And I think it's lack of efficiency and the potential for injuries is something that could make it, um, I guess, not essential to the league anymore. And adding a fourth and 15 option really could add much more excitement to games and keep the games more engaging. And I guess what's your opinion on that and how it, it could be more engaging? Absolutely. Well, injury prevention is always at the front line for NFL changes. But as you stated with, you know, let's just say the Jets are down, you can't turn off the TV if you have a 4th and 15 left because with an onside kick, you don't expect the team attempting it to, you know, to get it. So that just adds a lack of excitement. If it's a 4th and 15, you never know. It adds more pressure to the defense because 4th and 15s, as seen by the statistics, are much easier, not saying they're easy, but converted at a higher clip than the onside kick. So I think a 4th and 15 adds extra excitement to an NFL game. It adds the potential for a defensive penalty to automatically give them a first down, depending on which penalty is called, such as a pass interference. Regarding pass interference calls, yesterday, on Monday, the NFL Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, said that the pass interference replays implemented last season, quote-unquote, failed miserably. Now, the pass interference replays were implemented after a large uproar from fans with the no call in the 2018 playoff game between the Saints and the Rams, which many people believe ended the game and ruined it for the Saints. Last season, after the rule was implemented, only 13 of 81 pass interference replay challenges were successful. Do you think that the rule should remain? Do you think that it should be removed and let referees in real time make the judgment? How do you feel? I think it's definitely something that was added because of controversial plays like you mentioned the Saints and Vikings game, but I think it's something that was more of an immediate reaction to a problem that really wasn't as big as it seemed. I think because of the gravity of the situation in which the PI was missed in that game, it kind of elevated the conversation to the forefront of NFL rules talks, and I think it was just something that 
they thought would work a lot better than it did, and in the end, it wasted a lot more time where there was just, you know, due to do, 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 waiting for these refs to make a decision after reviewing it, and I think it was a it had good intentions, but it's not something that needs to remain in the NFL. And I think it's just something that wastes time in NFL games when you just want to watch the action. And it was just something implemented because of the gravity of the situation in that NFC playoff game. Absolutely. So with all the news that we covered, there is much, much more stuff going to be going on in the upcoming weeks, which we will cover in the next episode. Dylan, before we sign off, why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter? So you can find me on Twitter at DylanPrice27, you know, tweeting some content about the NFL, about some other sports, and just giving my take on a lot of things that don't really require my take, but I just want to add it into the conversation. So that's where you can find me there. And you can find me at Empire Sports Media, writing about the Jets pretty consistently and talking about some of the great decisions they make and some of the pretty stupid ones. You can find me on Twitter at Brendan Carp ESM. I also tweet about the Jets, some NFL breaking news, and you can also find me on the Empire Sports Media website covering the New York Jets and breaking NFL news. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.